I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, Editor-in-Chief of Munchies, and welcome back to Munchies the Podcast and the second part of our interview with Earth Goddess Ina Garden. Hi there. On the last episode, we took you on a road trip to Ina and Jeffrey's house, and you heard part one of this special double feature. Helen, you've been inside Ina's house for exactly three hours and 12 minutes. I'm really surprised she hasn't thrown you out already. Today, we're diving even deeper with the Barefoot Contessa. We'll hear about the one ingredient that will never appear in her cookbooks, why she learned to fly an airplane, and how her roast chicken is responsible for many of America's marriages. So let's pick up where we left off. At the end of part one, a cooking timer just started buzzing, and Ina got up to check on dessert in the oven. I made a, a tart that has figs, plums, and peaches. How's it looking over there? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> It's like music. I mean, I think that when somebody's composing something, and certainly what I do is no, nowhere as near as difficult as music, but um, I think they just have a sense that they know when they fit it. And while dessert cools, Ina begins telling us the story of the Barefoot Contessa. Well, I saw an ad for business for sale in a place I'd never been, which was then West Hampton, and uh, I just decided that's what I wanted to do. So um, I bought a specialty food store called Barefoot Contessa that was about the size of this table. It was really tiny. And, uh, and then Jeffrey, who was working in the State Department for the Secretary of State, he worked for Kissinger and then Vance, um, decided to move to New York as well. So we moved to New York. I moved to West Hampton, he moved to Manhattan. Okay, so day one, Barefoot Contessa, yeah. the doors open. Yeah. And you've just gone from a very different kind of job to this what is going through your mind? Okay, the first thing is I don't have to wear high heels, <laughs> no silk blouses, <laughs> no skirts and stockings. <laughs> I'm there like in sneakers and I'm like, yes, this is my kind of job. No, I'm just kidding. It was actually, um, I bought the store the day before um, Memorial Day weekend, thinking it was just another day. It was Thursday. And at the end of the day, the woman who sold me the store, the deal was she would stay with me for a month and she was a fabulous teacher. And um, I, at the end of the day, we closed the store at 10 o'clock at night. And it was open from 9 in the morning till 10 at night, which I thought was a normal day. I, little did I know. And we had $85 in the register at the end of the day. And I, I just, Jeffrey was with me. And he's like, I don't think you're going to make it here. <laughs> $85 for all that work. So, um, but I didn't know that the next day was going to be a totally different thing. And by the time we closed the d door on Friday night, we were completely cleaned out. We had nothing left in the store. There, was no, there wasn't a piece of cheese. There wasn't a, a piece of chicken. There was like nothing. And I was just, what are we going to do? We still have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And so she said to Jeffrey, okay, you, you have a little Fiat convertible. You're going to drive to 
Senemerich is the town next door. There's, I've heard there's a Danish bakery there that's very good. Why don't you get like some muffins or something that we can sell in the store for breakfast? And Ina and I are going to stay up all night, and we're going to cook, and we're going to bake, and we're going to stock the store. And we went to the, literally, we went to the grocery store and bought flour and sugar because we had nothing in the store. And we worked all night, Saturday night, all night, Sunday night, and, and Monday. I mean, I don't think I slept for two hours for the entire weekend. Jeffrey had gone to Senator Marich's. He walked into the store, and he looked around, and he thought, it actually looked really good. And he said to the person behind the counter, I'll take everything in the store. <laughs> and they, they just packed it up, and he brought it back on, on Saturday morning, and he did the same thing again on Sunday morning. <laughs> I think they're still wondering, who was that masked man? <laughs> and, uh, and, and at the end of the weekend, I just said to Jeffrey, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. This is going to be the worst summer of my life, and I'll never learn this business. And he said to me, which was really smart, he said, if you learn the business um, in, in a week, you'll be bored in two weeks. And he was right. I mean, from then on, it was like this big sandbox. There was always something really interesting to do there. How did it make you feel in that like, first month that you were open? How, how did you get through that, and how did you? Well, for the first week, I really thought I'll never learn this, but I thought it was really hard. But um, the woman who sold me the store, Diana um, Strada, said um, she's, she used to come in every day with me and really stand by me and show me what I needed to know. And then it was about a week and a, maybe 10 days into it, after I bought the store, she didn't show up one morning. It was, she, usually, we, she usually showed up at like 8 o'clock in the morning. We opened at 9. So, we, you know, we, I had that support with her. And she didn't show up. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, she's not here. It's 8 o'clock. Oh, my God, it's 8.15. Oh, she's not here. It's a quarter of 9. What am I going to do? And then, of course, I had to just open the door and, and, and run with it. And by the end of the day, I realized I was just fine. And I said to her the next day, what happened? She said, I knew you didn't think you could run the store. And I thought you could. So I didn't come in one day to show you. And I thought, what a great teacher she was. I was so lucky that she was um, both incredibly versed in how to run a specialty food store, but also incredibly supportive of me, which was incredibly lovely. Once you started writing your first cookbook, tell me about what it is about creating cookbooks that excites you. Um, I love the I, I love so much about it. Um, one is I love the team of people that I work with. I work with two people that are really smart and fun, and we get together at 9 o'clock every morning, and we just decide, okay, I'm going to work on the Israeli vegetable salad, and you're going to work on the strawberry shortcake, and you're going to work on social media. The three of us just kind of divide things up. Um, I like the creativity of writing recipes and testing things. So for me, it's very scientific. It's kind of in a, in a much better way. It's like the science I used to do in the government, but you end up with strawberry tarts <laughs> instead of enriched uranium. <laughs> much more fun. Also that it's my business. You know, it's, I, it may be, um, you know, it, I may be, it's, I'm responsible to myself, which I love. I, and I love the business side of it, and I love the creative side. And there's something about a cookbook that's this handmade object that I'm involved in every single detail, from the, the ingredients that we use to the recipe that's on the page to how well-tested that recipe is so I know when you get it, it's going to work. Um, the photographs are really important. I'm like the art director on, the, on it. I sit next to the person who designs the book, and we design it together. Um, there isn't really a font, a color, 
um, a detail in the book that I'm not really integrally involved in, including what the paper looks like and how the book opens, because a cookbook needs to open and lie flat. And very often a publisher will have a cookbook, the pages open and then they come back together again. So there, there really isn't a detail that I'm not involved in. And I love that creative process. I love being able to choose that. And my publisher is so, it's Random House, Clarkson Potter. They're just extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary and supportive and just smart and lovely. So it's just, I have an incredible team, several incredible teams, you know, the publishing and TV and really smart, wonderful people to work with. When you have downtime, you know, I know you're an amazing gardener, you're an amazing entertainer, an amazing chef, you know, what other... I'm really not a chef, I'm a well, cook. Well, a cook, but thank but you. <laughs> I, in my eyes, I'm a chef. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but where else do you find creativity to kind of recharge and you traveling know. I really find that um you can sit at home and talk to yourself for just so long but you need to get out and see what people are doing and um I, I just find that really interesting Jeffrey and I spend time in Paris we go to we were in London recently um I love to go to Italy I love that sort of kind of louche style that Italians have you know to make a you know a pizza with arugula and figs on it I mean it's just so simple and just wonderful do you have any hobbies that people might not know about you? Um, testing recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking for Jeffrey? I don't know. <laughs> um, what, beside gardening. What, oh, I like to build things. I'm always building things. Um, apartments, I built the barn. I renovate things. I like to buy old, you know, I, I used to do it more, but I buy old buildings and renovate them. And um, uh, I I like to do that. That's my. When I was in the government, I used to do that as well. I'd buy old houses in, in Washington, renovate them, and sell them. I want to go back. So, speaking of Jeffrey, so I think it was in North Carolina that he was in the military yes. and you decided to learn how to fly an airplane? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unlikely as that is. <laughs> my roommate in college was an aerospace engineer and she flew airplanes, and I always thought it was incredibly cool. So, um, when, when I was in, I was still in college and Jeffrey was in the military and I went to school and there was an airport right across the street from where we lived. And I thought, well, I think I'll just go over there and see if I can get my pilot's license. What I didn't know in 1969 is that the, I, it was incredibly difficult to find somebody who would teach a woman how to fly an airplane. They had to find somebody from another city to get them to come to Fayetteville, North Carolina to teach me how to fly an airplane. Isn't that incredible? Oh so my. that's where we come from. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your instructor and, and what was it like? I, don't, I mean, I, I have a visual of him, but I don't remember his name. Um, I just thought it was really fun. I mean, I thought it would be fun to learn how to fly an airplane. And uh, I, in the end, I'm not sure that it's, you know, it's not something that I, I've continued um, because I think it's, I mean, it's kind of like driving a car. The only difference is that when you get in trouble, you're in tr real trouble in an airplane. <laughs> in a car, you can just pull over on the side of the road <laughs> and call AAA. You <laughs> can't do that in an airplane. <laughs> so once you learned, though, I mean, were you going up whenever, or was this just sort of a class that you were taking, or how long were you well, actually? Well, private instruction. Um, I mean, I got my license, so I, I can't remember how many hours you need in order to get your license. And I got a, there's an IFR, uh, there's a, you get a particular license for, um, uh, low visibility, um, so I was I was working on that. I, I mean, I did it. I did it pretty seriously. 
And then Jeffrey decided to do it too. <laughs> I think more in self-defense that he didn't want to be in an airplane with me <laughs> and not know how to land it. <laughs> He's a very smart guy. <laughs> but that's, I would say, you know, it takes a very brave person to want to fly a plane. <laughs> or young and foolish. You know? I don't know which I was. Yeah, but you, you know, know, you're clearly a risk taker and, you know, it's the same as when you open the barefoot I, I You know, I think, when, particularly when you're in 20s, but I think it's important to do always, is try a lot of things. I mean, this was not something that I was, it was, it was a romantic notion that didn't really pan out for me. It wasn't something I'm, I'm dying to get up in an airplane again. Um, but I think if you never try it, you never know what it is. So I found out what it was. It was great. When I moved to New York, I remember getting checked out in a plane so that I could rent a plane and, and fly here. And the, pilot, the instructor said to me, so I just want to warn you that there are you know, major 747s flying at 2,000 feet around here. So you have to be really careful. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> and it was the last time I ever flew. <laughs> that I don't think I need to be watching out for 747s in a Cessna <laughs> 150. <laughs> they probably run over you and not even notice. <laughs> That is, and and you really enjoy. I think you would just wanted to scare me, frankly. Yes, I mean I'm so terrified of flying, so I can. Oh, you are in general. Oh, I'm yeah. not. I'm not afraid to fly. I just, oh. I just I'm smart enough to know it's dangerous. <laughs> so once you, I mean, kind of connecting back to, you start this entirely new career path. Looking back to that time in your life, if you could now give a younger version of yourself advice. What is one piece of advice that you would give? Don't worry so much. Just do it. I mean, I, I, I've done a lot of things that I enjoy doing, and sometimes I jump in and worry a lot about whether it was a good idea, but there's very few things you jump into that you can't get out of. Um, you know, I, I mean, one of the houses I bought when I was in Washington was just too big. I mean, it was just too expensive a project for us, and we decided to sell it. And I sold it at a great profit and called it a day. <laughs> I might have shed a tear, too. <laughs> but, you know, you just, you, I think we stand on the side of the pond talking about the pond a lot. Is it dangerous? Is it cold? Is it dark? Is it, you know, what's, what's going on in the pond? You just get in. Just get in and figure it out while you're there. It's not an end result. It's a journey. You figure out, you get in and you go, oh, that's really interesting over there. And you go over there. So I, I, I like, I mean, I think one of the things I'm glad about is that I, um, I'm okay working scared. And I don't know, I, I can't tell you whether I like working scared or I'm just okay working scared, but I have a very low threshold of boredom. So, <laughs> so I'm willing to work scared in order not to be bored. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an amazing skill to have and I think it's, <laughs> I it's it's definitely I think something we could all take a page from when you think about you know the future of what you're doing 20 years from now what do you want people to kind of look at your work and say Ina did this the thing that pleases me about what we do is not that um you know that I do it it's that um if people cook everybody shows up and that's what cooking is for me. It's not, it's, I mean, it's nice to have a really good dinner, but if you make something and, and invite people and sit around the table together, you create a community for yourself. And I think it's those connections that really feed us. And so that's what cooking is for me. And I think that if I make cooking easy enough that you can go to the grocery store, buy perfectly simple ingredients, come home and make a really easy meal, everybody's gonna show up. 
And I, if, if I've done that for people, I think it's really satisfying. In the, we're in this era of technology. I mean, it's, everything is a computer around us. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have live streams. Yeah. We could live stream a dinner right now. <laughs> what do you think, you know, especially in the scope of home entertaining, how has that culture changed, if at all, in relation to these things such as Instagram? Has it changed? Has the home entertainment changed? Well, I think I think home entertain. I think cooking has actually gone through all kinds of permutations. I think my generation had somebody home cooking, so you could hang out in the kitchen. But the next generation didn't. You know, mom was a you know if mom was the cook, which was more traditional. Um, she was a doctor, a lawyer, or you know she was um, traveling with a, an investment bank. Um, she wasn't home making dinner for everybody. Um, and I think the next generation is actually more interested in food for two reasons. One is they didn't have it. Um, they didn't have mom home cooking for them or dad or anybody. And, um, and I think Food Network's had a huge impact. I think that young boys grew up seeing Bobby Flay and Mario Batali and Michael Simon, and they were having a ball. And they saw that you could be a, a boy and cook. It's not like women's work. So I think that's had a huge impact. And they also you're, watched you're that, you. You're that generation. What? <laughs> and, and they, they were, were watching, watching me too. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're that generation. Do you feel that way, that um, food, yes. food Network had an impact on, that you can do it. It's like, it's not a mystery. You can cook and you can have fun doing it. When I still believed in Santa Claus in middle school, which says a lot, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was asking for like a creme brulee torch because uh, that's how much I was, I was learning. But, uh, you know, in your first season, I remember this moment. In my first season of oh, television? Yes. <laughs> you remember this? Yes. Wow. I saw an episode where you were, I think it's, well, maybe it isn't the first season. Anyway, you were making well, I breakfast. I wouldn't remember, so you can tell me it was. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you're like, all right, I'm going to make it the night ahead so that I can actually hang out with my friends. Yeah. And you were like, all right, there's one tip that I have for you guys. And you basically had a regular coffee maker. And yeah. you're like, I have a second one. And it's a slight investment, but it's for decaf. And I want to know, do you still have a second coffee maker for decaf? And are you still friends with those people who drink decaf? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do when I have house guests, I, I bring out the second coffee maker. Because you never know. I mean, if, if somebody ha wants decaf, yeah. that you have to do that. I just... What, you thought having I, two I, coffee makers was just No, no, crazy? I think it's amazing. No, oh, it, oh, it's oh, a testament you. to how thoughtful you are. I'm just thank kidding, because I'm like, decaf coffee drinkers. I'm, I'm not friends with anyone who drinks decaf. <laughs> but I think that that I was... don't understand decaf. I mean, there's only one reason to drink coffee. <laughs> but I think that that, that moment is, is so telling of everything that you do. It's so thoughtful, and I think... Um, Sometimes the, the most thoughtful things are actually really simple to do. You just have to want to think of them. I mean, that's a really, I mean, it's, a, it's true. It's a very inexpensive investment. You can buy a coffee maker at the hardware store. And, um, but it's just making sure that everybody's taken care of. Which, which is, I mean, I have to say, I only invite people I love and I want to take care of them. So it makes it really simple. I don't accept invitations to people's houses that I don't, you know, love to see because I know I'm going to have to invite them back. And so I keep co cooking's hard. I only do it for people I just adore. So when you are 
hosting a dinner party, what is sort of your mode? Do you have somebody who's a helper who helps you in the kitchen? Do you have... No. What about... Okay, for me, there, it's key that there is a person who likes to socialize and pour drinks for people. Oh, that's Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but what other tips do you use when mm-hmm. you are hosting that could be as simple as the coffee maker for decaf coffee? Well, the simplest thing is that everything has to be done before the guests arrive. I mean, I may have to take the filet of beef out of the oven and let it rest but, um, and slice it, but I don't have any cooking to do while people are there. If there are recipes that require you, like an omelet that requires you to make it and serve it, I'll do that for, you know, somewhere else. Like I'll make a frittata, which you assemble the whole thing, you put it in the oven and it cooks for 45 minutes. So the guests arrive and you sit down a half an hour later. So I, I think I'm almost always, I can't think of anything I've made while people are there. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Okay, so Taylor Swift is coming to dinner, <laughs> and you're making a meal from your latest cookbook. Mm-hmm. Which dish do you think she would love the most? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What would she make? Well, I made her. It wasn't from that book, but I made her a pavlova. That was wonderful. Um, what would she like? I think um, the lemon chicken. Um, it's in a, a skillet lemon, I think it's called lem, skillet lemon chicken, um, with sliced lemons and garlic and onions, and then the chicken, and then a, an herb um, marinade on the top, and you just throw it in the oven. Um, maybe she'd like the salted caramel panna cotta. You think she'd like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and roasted broccolini. That's one of my favorites because it's literally put the broccolini on a sheet pan, olive oil, salt, and pepper, and put it in the oven for 15 minutes while the chicken is resting. So you can eat, you can do it in one oven too, which is great. How many marriages do you think you are responsible for in this country? Because <laughs> that I that roast chicken. Yeah, it's always the roast chicken, and I know at least like. Three couples. Did it work for you? Yeah, not for oh, me, not for but you. my sister. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Do you know that? that I, I I don't know if you know this, which is why you're asking. Some some young women from I think it was Glamour magazine stopped me at a party once and said, "Do you know we call your roast chicken engagement chicken? Do you know this? Or you don't know this? No. And I said, "Why?" And they said, "Well, because anytime a young woman a woman in the office makes it for her boyfriend, they're engaged within 24 hours." <laughs> <laughs> I thought, That's the best argument for a chicken I ever. <laughs> imagine <laughs> it's true That's really it's great. very true so your karma points are so. off the scale <laughs> Thank so you. for listeners who don't know how to roast a chicken properly what are the quick things to know um first of all it's really easy find a good recipe my fir- first book has a roast chicken and then there are a few other permutations but in, in a roasting pan you put a chicken um brush it with olive oil salt and pepper if you want a little extra flavor you can put some lemon and thyme and maybe some garlic in the cavity um and i actually put vegetables around the pan and 
mix them with olive oil, salt, and pepper, and put the whole thing in the oven for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And you've got an entire meal in one pan. And I, I think Jeffrey used to think it was really complicated to make, and one time he was home watching me make dinner, and he's like, that's so easy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, I was getting a lot of credit for it before he knew that. <laughs> so don't let them see you make it. <laughs> but, you know, Phil and I, we were, we were talking on the way here about how amazing your recipe writing is because there really isn't anyone else out there who writes in the way that you do and I think you were saying I did I had one specific example but I think it was a roast chicken recipe and it said that you had to turn your oven up to 450 most recipe authors would leave it at that but you put in a note that said make sure your oven is clean yeah and for a moment I, I had to think because there'd be smoke coming out of your oven <laughs> Do you, know, do you know why? Because I don't just write a recipe. I hand it to Barbara, who works with me, or Lottie, who works with me, and I say, I'm just a printed page, and I watch them make the recipe. And there has never been a recipe that didn't have six changes on it. Um, because, you know, like the, we're making caramel, and you pour in the, I can't remember, the vanilla or something, and it bubbles up violently, and they're like, oh my God, is, is that a problem? I'm like, no, that's what it's supposed to do. So I just wrote, wrote in, don't worry, it'll bubble up violently. So that when it happens, A, you're not surprised, and B, you know you're on the right track. So I, I, I always answer their questions along the way. And things that I don't even think about, you know, like if I'm cutting a carrot, I'll always cut it diagonally. Um, but I forgot to write that in the recipe. So it's, that's why when I make it over and over and over again and I watch people make it, I make it for friends, I see if they, you know, sometimes I'll make three desserts and I'll just put them out. Actually, I did one time, I made three desserts and I said, okay, first I wanna know which one sounds best to you before I even put them out. Then I put them out, I said, okay, I wanna know which one looks best to you. And the third one is I wanna know which one tastes best. And what was interesting to me, because this is very interesting psychologically, the ones that people chose sounds best were also the ones that they thought taste best. So they chose the thing that they knew they would like. But it was, it's, uh, you know, at the store, I had a, an experiment going all the time. You'd put out 20 desserts and, you know, 10 of them would sell really well. I don't have that anymore, so I kind of use my friends for that. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you absolutely hate that you will, you will never find in one of your cookbooks? So hate it. I know people love it. You can add it to the recipe. I just hate it. <laughs> it to me, it's so strong. And I, I mean, it actually tastes like soap to me, but it's so strong. It overpowers every other flavor. So I like something that's kind of interestingly flavored, but you, as you eat it, you get the layers. You know, the, the strawberries and the little zest of orange, a little sweetness, a little yogurt. You get all of those flavors in a balance. But when cilantro is in something, that's all I can taste. <laughs> Everything else goes away. <laughs> what about, is there any food trend that you just cannot foam? foam. Don't get it. I've never, I've never tasted foam that tasted good. <laughs> never mind what it looks like. <laughs> Except in a cappuccino, maybe. <laughs> so what is a relaxing day look like for you? A relaxing day? Mm -hmm. I don't love a relaxing day. I love fun things to do. <laughs> so, so what would that be? Um, get up in the morning, walk across the lawn, come here, meet Lottie and Barbara, and just go to work. 
you know, just make something fun. I like experimenting. I like having the freedom to not have to produce something today so that we can say, let's, let's try making a tart with peaches, plums, and figs and figure out which one's best. Or maybe we like all of them. Or maybe it's got more juice in it so it needs a little flour. I don't, you know, just, it's a, it's a process. I like that process. Any final thoughts? I think what's really important in life is the connections with people, and I think cooking really, um, cooking things that are familiar and um, homey make people feel comfortable and relaxed, and I think that's when you really connect with people. Well, thank you so much thank for you. taking the time and having <laughs> sure. us into your beautiful studio. It's amazing. Thank you. So. <laughs> well, it was really fun. I know you so have nice to see lots you. of recipe testing to do. So. <laughs> we'll that's what we do. Thank you once again to Ina Garden for inviting us into her insanely beautiful home. Thanks so much to Kate Tyler and Lighty Hoke. And as always, thanks so much to my podcast producer, Phil Tomahovsky. And if you haven't already picked up a copy of Ina Garden's newest cookbook, Cooking for Jeffrey, you should. And hey, here's my own cash for gold moment. We're putting out our very first cookbook. It's called Munchies Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chefs. It drops October 24th, and the best part is, you can pre-order it now. Next time on Munchies, the podcast. When I'm home <laughs> watching my soaps or watching television, I need to gnash on something. Ice cream is the best gnashing. <laughs> What's gnashing? I don't know what that means. We're winding down summer by eating ice cream with one of our favorite internet friends, Lily Hayes, who you might know from her Instagram, Lily underscore Hayes. As always, you can get all of our delicious Munchies content over at munchies.tv. Hit us up at Munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, too. And if you like the show, show us some love and rate it on iTunes. It actually helps us out. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll catch you all real soon. Why did I just say my name weird? <laughs> Sorry. I'm Holly Hi, I, who am I? I don't know. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.